This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. We've just learned that two Canadians are among the at least 58 people killed in the mass shooting in Las Vegas. More than 500 are also injured after a 64-year-old gunman with an arsenal of of at least a dozen rifles fired on a country music festival. The death toll, which is still preliminary, would make this the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. The shooter has been identified as 64-year-old Stephen Paddock. He committed suicide after the attack, and ISIS has now claimed responsibility, saying he converted to Islam several months ago, but they did not provide any evidence to support the claim. Meanwhile, There's no doubt that the weekend attack in Edmonton was an act of ISIS-inspired terrorism. Five people are injured, and a Somali refugee is in custody facing a slew of charges. So here we go again, and I am with our go-to guy on security and terrorism, Ross McLean. Ross, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Glad to join you, but not over the topics here. This is a pretty bad one. Oh, yeah. And and it, it looks like there's been a kind of a, a resurgence or a, a bump uh, in what may or may not be ISIS-related terrorism, and this as they're losing ground uh, in the Middle East. Uh, one of the more reliable uh, ISIS communication sites about three or four days ago put out a, a tweet with a message calling on its uh, soldiers all over uh, in Canada, the U.S., and uh, Europe to go attack people uh, where they gather, where they are, their military, their police, strike them with vehicles, shoot them down. So that went out. And since then, we've seen, of course, an attack in France at at the the train station. Two women stabbed. Uh, That guy shot to death. ISIS is claiming that one. We certainly saw, as you let off the top with our Edmonton attack uh, for doing that. And now we're looking at, in speculation, uh, looking at this one in Vegas. Well, uh there are experts in this field who believe that it is related to ISIS losing ground militarily uh, and the so-called the Islamic State shrinking. Oh, I would buy that. I would buy that. They are they are losing. They are losing grounds. They're getting more and more cut off on their financing, their ability to get oil and move oil and sell oil, and their financing. They're still doing some stuff. So yes, they are getting desperate. And uh, well, this is the sort of thing that they do. I mean, this is what they do: terror on a mass scale in places like Las Vegas. I mean, it's certainly, uh, so far, all the flags are there to indicate that this is an ISIS-inspired uh, event, at minimum, that took place in Vegas. Well, um, I, I have some questions about that, because uh, the police are saying there is nothing to indicate that, and th- this shooter, he doesn't fit the profile. First of all, his age at 64, it's usually disaffected young men. His brother said that as far as he knew, the guy had no affiliation, no religious affiliation. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, it is definitely does not fit the profile off the top. There's only a, there's only a, a couple of things I can look to that that 
that do fit the profile for him. Number one, we have seen native uh, people of North America before who were born here uh, turn, get converted to Islam, and commit acts of terror. That has happened. Uh, the claim is uh, by ISIS, unsubstantiated at this point, that this man was converted in the last number of months. So something that is consistent with that is all of a sudden his brother claims that he saw nothing wrong, no mental problems with his brother or anything. He's just an accountant. He just has a job. He didn't talk of any psychosis or problems that one would normally associate with this. And he goes to doing this sort of an attack. So um, that's a question for me. And from an investigator's point of view, like I said, this is not law enforcement. As an investigator, I've got great concerns about the fact that the woman that they're looking for is a person of interest as well, too, with him. Because we have seen in the past uh, with the Orlando Pulse shooting and the other shooting that took place in California, I'm forgetting the city right now, uh, where there were women San Bernardino. In San Bernardino, thank you. Yes. There's so many of them, it's even hard for me to keep track That's of. That's terrible. But there was two women that were deeply involved in that, who knew what was going on, drove them to the site, one shot with them, the whole thing. So the question may come up with this woman if she was somehow involved in converting him. Now. Just a minute. But I thought uh, they, first they said he had a companion, and then she was located outside the country, but it's thought that he used her ID yeah, there's, well, there's a bunch of things that are bubbling up right now. What I am saying is this. As an investigator, that's what I want to look at. And if they look at that, they're going to see some things that take place when someone makes the conversion over to Islam in their mindset for doing it. They're going to see that normally it's uh, you have the person who's, who's being converted, you have the person who's with them that's working at doing it, and then there's usually a third party that is also helping to in, incite the uh, extremism in them and doing some of the funding for them. Because these are some of the things we're looking at here. Where did he get the guns? His brother says he didn't have any submachine guns. He had a couple of handguns. He said he kept them in the safe. So where did he get all these weapons and the ammunition that he got? Where did the money come from that? We saw with the San Bernardino one, they got money from a neighbor who initially denied it, who gave them the money to buy the guns to go shoot it up. So there will be all sorts of things that investigators will be able to trace, including his, his online activities. If he recently changed his name, like when he signed in the hotel, if he went so far as to sign in with an Islamic version of his name, that's one of the things when you convert. They change their name, they want to be called something else. So there'll be, there will be trails there. If that's the case, we don't know yet. It's early, but it's certainly uh, something that needs to be looked at as an explanation for the motivation here. Mm -hmm. But it it is also true that ISIS likes to take responsibility for these things. So it just might be, it just might be fake. Yeah, might might very well be that. That's where we're going to need the investigators to come out and let us know on this as to where it's going. You know, there's a lot of information that's uh, going around online for this. I've seen. I've seen videos that purports to be him and his girlfriend at a, at a rally, a political rally, that were saying they didn't like one side or the other. There's other people reporting different things about him. But that's all just complete speculation at this point. But look, there has to be some explanation for somebody to undertake such a planned, deliberate, homicidal, uh, I don't know whether to call this one cold-blooded or warm-blooded killing, of so many people, Libby. That's just not a normal thing for anybody with a no. normal mindset to do. You just can't do it. You can't bring yourself to do it. But let me tell you where this has the marks of being an ISIS attack. Okay. Yep. It, came, it came following a warning. It came uh, at a concert venue where people are penned in, where we've seen them act before. Right. It came from an uh, elevated military-type position to shoot down on them, which is a strategic way of doing it. That's not something just your normal, give me a gun, I'm going to go kill some people thinks about. He thought this out. He purchased the weapons. He had very, uh, I'm guessing by the number of dead, 
very high caliber weapons, not just assault rifles, but I'm going to bet these are pretty high flute and heavy caliber weapons that he was shooting uh, for doing it. And he had collected them and he had been doing surveillance on the place probably for a while. He had checked in there the Thursday before right. for doing it. So there's a lot of uh, marks here that line it up with ISIS. He did kill himself before the uh, police get in yeah. is the report that we're hearing. Now, usually they like to go down being killed by the, uh, by the infidels. So that's a little inconsistent. But we'll have to see what else they find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very disturbing. Uh, and another whole aspect of this is uh, the Americans, of course, always make the claim that this has nothing to do with guns. And then the people who are trying to get a little bit of gun control in there uh, start getting active. But it's just it's, you know, these these things keep happening. And, you know, as far as a lot of Americans are concerned, nothing to do with guns. And they're easy availability. Well, there needs to be questions about the type of firepower he had and where he got it. As I said, just, you know, it's, I don't mean to get too gruesome or forensic about this, but the bigger the bullet, the bigger the caliber, and the longer the barrel, which is what they call it a rifle because it causes the bullet to spin when it comes out of the barrel. Yeah. And it's the rate of spin that you get coming out of a longer barrel. It spins much, much higher. That's what gives a bullet its penetrating power and its, and its killing power. So it means that if you shot one of those bullets, it was a high caliber, heavy bullet. It could go through four, each bullet could go through four people, five people before it stopped, wow. let alone typically a gun might wound one person, maybe another, that sort of thing. And, you know, the high death rate, uh, just once again, usually uh, there's, there's talk about people who are at the scene trying to help people sh- putting their fingers and their fists in holes in people's bodies uh, from this to try and stop the bleeding. That's indicative of a high caliber heavy bullet because what, what they're designed to do, Libby, is to create the biggest hole they can so the body collapses and goes into shock and you actually die from shock right away from doing it. So there's a lot of thought into this. If these were higher caliber guns, same as they go to rent the biggest truck they can when they're trying to run people down, this was an intent to cause as much damage as possible. And by the numbers that we're seeing, and I suspect they're going to climb still, um, they achieved that goal. And how difficult is it to get that type of weapon in the U.S.? That's a question I don't really know how to answer because the laws are different in different places and who has them. You know, uh, certainly I, I, people talk about going to Las Vegas because there's places there you can rent machine guns and shoot them and do all co- sorts of things for, you know, fun and games for shooting the guns. How he acquired these weapons when his brother says he didn't believe that he had them, I think is going to be key. And I think it's going to point to a third party who is involved in doing this. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big believer in lone wolf when it comes to terrorist acts. Okay, uh, let's take a couple of calls. We've got uh, Sam in Brantford. Hi, Sam. How you doing, Libby? Fine. How are you? Well, I'm very, very upset. Um, something has to be done. I know people believe in civil liberties and stuff like that. People have to be checked, even if it, it, it means privacy checkups. They have to check people that are coming in with bags uh, that look suspicious. The civil liberties have to just mind their own business, and these people that are going to do evil, they have to be found out, and they have to be checked, and they have to be arrested. Well, you know what? It's it's interesting, because I'm sure that there probably was security at that music festival, but he checked into a hotel. And as far as I know, hotels don't start going through your bags when, when you check in. Uh, Ross, is that something that's even feasible? Well, you know what? It is going to become feasible because what happened here, the police, and I'm sure, like, look at the Las Vegas police and the private security there are very, very good, as evidenced by the fact how quickly they got to the room uh, to get this guy. 
But to your point, Libby, he checked into a hotel. A hotel has no balconies because they don't have balconies in Las Vegas because they don't want people jumping off them if they lose all kinds of money, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Right. That's so interesting. He, so he's in a room with solid yeah. glass, thick glass walls. They're designed that way. He smashed the window out and he picked a room that had the best line of sight for shooting into where wow. these people were. So now my understanding is that these rooms are set up so if somebody breaks the window, they'll actually get an alarm. And uh, the response will be uh, from the police and the security. They'll know the room, the floor. They'll shut off the elevators. They'll seal off the stairwells. And then they'll go into their active shooter pursuit. But I think what you may see, which this uh, listener points out, you may see in the future that if they're going to be hosting events outside of hotels, what they may do, if they rent those rooms to people looking onto the event, you may be told that your room could be searched or we'll come in and check it out during the event or something like that. I can see that happening even here in Toronto for our you know, at the Rogers Centre where we have a hotel. They'll be telling people, hey, by the way, we're going to come in and have a look at your room as you get set up and things like that. Maybe that's a good idea. I think it's going to be something that you see it has to take place. Okay, Sam, thanks for that. Yeah, yeah thank you. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Okay, let's go to Louie in Toronto. Hello, Louie. Hello, how are you? Fine. Good. Okay, let's talk about Edmonton. Uh, Mr. Trump will take care of uh, his own country there. That fellow that's uh, supposed to be a refugee, well... Like, if they knew the first year he was here that he was no good, why didn't you just send him back? I mean, forget about well this and well that. He also had three cousins in uh, Edmonton that went back to, went, went to Syria to fight. I mean, right there, you know. I, I, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not aware of that. CBC. Ross, are you aware of that? I'm not aware of that, but let, let me say this. What I think the listener is pointing out is we need to know that there's strong rules to protect us and that those strong rules are being enforced and we can feel comfortable that's what's, what's happening. And if there's going to be exceptions to those rules, we need to make sure that the people who make those exceptions are accountable can explain why they made those exceptions. Well, yeah, he was, uh, he was investigated in 2015 and uh, I guess they didn't find anything that they thought would stick. Well, what we're hearing is, uh, we've talked about this before, under the Terrorism Act, we can, I can investigate you and I could take you in for a peace bond if I think there's enough to get a peace bond on you that can put conditions on you. Can't go here, can't go on the internet, do these things. And then I've got more control over you if I have the ability to watch you. If they didn't do that and there was not enough to get a peace bond or lay a terrorist charge, then they just kept him on the watch list. But then it begs the question, what does that mean, watch? Well, they didn't watch very hard, did they? No, we had one that blew up outside of uh, small town Ontario here. Remember, there was the guy, he was on the watch list and he was yeah. building a bomb and the RCMP caught him getting in a cab. And he blew up, blew up yep. the thing. <laughs> so, and he was on a watch list. So how, how do we know? Yep. Okay, Louis. thanks for that. Uh, let's go to Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. Hi. You're on the uh, air. Horrific, horrific weekend, but, uh, you know, the disappointing thing is now what happened in the States is going to de- deflect everybody's attention away from Trudeau, his immigration policies, and what happened out in Edmonton. And I think that's, as Canadians, what we should focus on. We need to drill down on this guy that committed these actions, find out who he, who he is, where he came from, how he was making a living in Canada, and who he associated with. But this will divert it and give Trudeau uh, another pass. Well, you know what? It's actually, that could happen, but what also might happen with, this is very close by, and this hits home. We have two Canadians who are dead, and Las Vegas is a destination that a lot of people go to. So uh, on the other hand, it's possible that this will make us aware of the vulnerabilities here 
in our own backyard. I mean, this, this guy uh, is under arrest, this Somali refugee, and uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, that is not lost on anyone, that this is somebody who, who took, allegedly took refuge here. And but for the grace of God, Libby and listeners, I mean, that police officer, for those who've seen the video who have the stomach to watch it, he got rammed by that car, knocked flying into the air, 15 feet, landed on his back. This guy got out of the car, went and jumped on top of him, started stabbing him. And this police officer still fought him off. And the guy went running away from him. We could be talking about one of the biggest police funerals in Canada right now. Had that officer, I don't know how, I mean, he had angels looking after him. There's no way he should have survived that. And then when he was driving, when he was caught driving that vehicle down that busy street, my God, we could have, fe- we could have seen 20 people killed there. And we didn't see it. You know, so we got off very Lucky. lightly. It's just unbelievable. We could be talking a whole different story, Libby. But for the grace of, I don't know, a few feet, a few inches, a few things. Okay. Bill, thanks for your call. So, Ross, where does this, uh, where does this leave us? I mean, do you think that uh, Bill is right, that this will deflect attention away from problems we have here? Or will it focus it? Well, I think I think it's a, an observation. That's I think it's a valid point of view. I think yeah. I think you can look at it both ways. You can say, yeah, there'll be a deflection. Nothing will happen about it. Or you might say, you know what? The people have had enough. There's going to be more focus on this, and we need to deal with this. Uh, I do think we need to deal with it. I think that the public needs to feel assured that the people who are in here, particularly under refugee status, we've got them under watch. And if they're breaking certain rules or they're making certain affiliations, we want them dealt with. Now. And look, it's, it's not popular as well either. We've got, this is the Somali community, right? The Somali community, God love them. There's some great people in the Somali community, but they've got their problems. We've seen massive crime problems in Toronto. Edmonton has seen them as well too. And down in Minnesota in the U.S., which is the other large population of Somalis. And they move between them all. And there's some concern that a lot of the, the people walking across the border were Somalis from the states who were there worried that uh, the president was going to kick them out. And they came in here, and there's reports that a lot of them have criminal records. And, you know, we have them here. We're not kicking them back out or dealing with them. So I think that these are the sort of things we at least need assurances that, you know, you're not going to have, my God, the, you know, the loss of life, the loss of innocent life in a, in a terrorist attack somewhere mm-hmm. across our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, you mentioned the criminal records. A, a, a lot of people involved in terrorist activity have criminal records, and that's another reason this guy in Las Vegas doesn't fit the profile. Yeah, but it's the conversion is the issue here. You know, there's something strange that happens. Let me talk about this for a second, about how people get converted. I listened to a bunch of interviews about people who went through uh, being radicalized. In particular, is one woman who they were trying to radicalize to take from the UK to go over to Syria to be a bride. And the radicalizer kept on exposing her to violent uh, videos, beheadings, killings, setting people on fire. And the girl said, you know, they had me watch them and watch them. And at first she says, I was sick of them. I, they made me sick. I couldn't stomach them. But after a few weeks of looking at them, it started to become almost exciting. So almost like violence porn. It's the way that the mind can change when it gets exposed to something enough and things are there. So once somebody gets you changed, they do a bit of uh, sort of mind control techniques on you. Uh, there are drugs that are used in this uh, sometimes for converting people to. It can be very, uh, very persuasive thing. And so someone who you wouldn't think is a problem becomes a problem. But as I said, there's signs for that to look for. Okay, let's go to uh, Bob in Etobicoke. Hello, Bob. Hello, how are you? Fine, how are you? Not bad. These things, uh, to me, 
Uh, I have a view that maybe people wouldn't agree with, but I think in Israel they used to it. Um, you go after the family because no matter who you are, you want to protect your family, your parents, your brothers, your sisters. And if you thought that those people were going to be pay for what you did, they wouldn't do it. Like, for example, that fellow right there, I don't know, maybe he's radicalized, maybe he's not, I don't really care. But the point is, would he have done that if he thought that where he was whole family was going to be executed because it was oh, up well, to me? We don't we don't even execute criminals, and you know, I know that's I know what that. uh, distinguishes mm, us from you know barbaric societies. You here, know, once we start doing stuff like that. Here's an interesting point on that, though. What people do not understand about radical Islamic terrorism, they want to die. They want to die doing something in the name of Allah doing a terrorist act, taking people out. You can find videos, like they don't have uh, bombs and fighter jets, right, ISIS. They'll take trucks, load them up with kerosene, bombs and detonators. They put some, you know, an old garage on the front to make it kind of armored. And then they have a guy come out and say, okay, you're the guy that gets to drive this right into the other people and blow it up as soon as you get there. And the guy will be smiling. Yeah, he's just having a great old time because he thinks he's going on to a better life. They think that life here is hell and the next step forward and up is heaven. So it, when you're fighting uh, someone with, that's motivated like that, it's different. So if you threaten the family, you threaten this, they don't care. They're going on to a better place. So that's the mentality that you have to look at when you're doing your threat assessment of these people. Yeah, and it's, it's also, you know, we have to think about what we're protecting. Yes. Um, thanks for your call, Bob. Let's go to Giovanni in Brampton. Hi, Giovanni. Uh, yes, good afternoon in Southern Ontario to everybody who are listening. Thank you. I have an, I have an idea for uh, a retired policeman. They should have the power to investigate or even if they're on the road to protect the people and arrest the people if they see anything wrong and let go from there. Another thing, one more thing is that we should have a, a, something that we paralyze these people that they shoot and then we shouldn't shoot them. We should paralyze a tranquilizer and then you can have the truth. That's, I'm only talking about the fact, not uh, uh, any other things. And I thank you for taking my call. Okay, thanks, Giovanni. Just to Giovanni's point. Yeah. That's what they're trying to do over in the UK. I told you before how many terrorists they have and listen to how many police officers. They are burning out over there. The mayor over there said, oh, we're adding more police officers. He's not adding actual new bodies. He's making the bodies work more hours and no overtime. So it's there. And there is talk uh, about one way of relieving this is by bringing back people who are retired from who are investigators and getting them signed back up again as a way of having trained senior police officers available to help. So Giovanni has a, might be onto something there. Okay. Just need budget for that, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's go to Joan in Oshawa. Hello, Joan. Hello, Libby. How are you today? Fine. How are you? Not too bad, but boy, am I ever furious over all this killings and uh, everything between Canada and the United States. Yep. Our, oh boy, our immigration policy lacks a lot of, how would you call it? Well, a, yeah, but a lot of um, this is a they're not being screened properly, Libby. Right, but you know when you're when you're talking about this particular heinous incident, this is a a, a white American older guy. So uh, you know to hang that on the immigration policy, 
uh, is difficult. And, and this case in Edmonton apparently was a refugee, so that's different than uh, who we scream, screen as immigrants. So um, we need good screening, but in the case of this terrible incident in the United States, that's, that's kind of not relevant. Yeah, I think well, the trick is... Yes, that, that, uh, that one, of, of course... But, I mean, even the, the um, white Anglo-Saxons can be ra- radicalized. Exactly. But, you, you know, they, uh, they can't expel a, a, a guy who's an American born in America who has nothing previous on his record. You, you bring up the points, yeah. Libby, that this is a complicated issue. There are all sorts of little holes and funnels we can go down. Each one of them is right on its own, but you can't apply it across the board to people. But as this – the frustration from your listeners, as we can tell – is they're just getting a little bit tired of all this murder and mayhem. Well, uh, we all are. Joan, thanks for your call. Uh, Ross, uh, we're going to be wrapping up this segment. What would, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I'm going to say one thing. I'm going to say, give a shout-out to that Edmonton police officer who stood there, got hit by that car, went up in the air, came back down, continued to fight with someone trying to stab him and kill him. Uh, and the other Edmonton police officers who went and made that chase to to capture that U-Haul after the thing went through. Uh, heroes, every one of them, because, you know, as someone pointed out before, that they when they all rushed that truck when that U-Haul flipped over, there could have been a bomb in that truck. And as they were climbing on that truck, every one of them could have been dead. But you know what? They ran to the call. Look at those police down in, uh, down in Las Vegas. They ran to the call. Let me tell you, Libby, it takes a certain type of person to run into someone pointing and firing a gun at you and knowing that you might lose your life. So uh, let's give a shout out to those in the first responders. Absolutely. Thank you so much to the first responders. And thanks to you, Ross McLean. Uh, Interesting. And uh, I hope that uh, next time we have a chat, it's not about something terrible like this. Locking them all up is what we'll talk about the next time they get them all. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Ross. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.